Welcome to the world of Aeora, a news and lore podcast about the Pillars of Eternity games, as well as Obsidian Entertainment's upcoming release, Avowed. Hello fellow kith, and welcome to another episode of the show, The World of Aeora. I'm your host, Eric, aka Gingerino, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode as we dive into the lore and news of Pillars of Eternity and Avowed as it undergoes development. For those not in the know, the reason that we're pairing the Pillars of Eternity games with Avowed is because they share the same fantasy setting, Aeora. And so as the theory goes, if we dive into the history, lore, and game mechanics of Pillars of Eternity 1 and 2, we'll be able to make some insights about Avowed as it undergoes development at Obsidian. As well, it gives us a chance for those who love the Pillars games to just geek out and reminisce about things that we love about the game or learn something new about it if you haven't gotten this deep into the lore. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about the deity Abidon. We're going to be taking a dive into one of the gods. I've already talked a bit about the foundation of the gods in a previous episode, and it was a little bit spoiler heavy, which really couldn't be avoided given some of the nature of it. Today's episode is going to feature much less spoilers than that one. There are going to be some narrative spoilers for the White March DLC for Pillars of Eternity 1, but I'll save that for the end of the episode, and I'll make sure to give you a heads up so that if you don't want to have anything spoiled for you in the White March DLCs, that way you can avoid it. But the beginning and middle of this episode is going to be as spoiler-free as I can possibly make it. So with that all said, let's dive into the lore of Abidon. God of the Forge. I'm curious, what exactly did you find there? So in the last episode, we discussed who Abidin is and some names that he will go by, as well as look at a little bit of his personality traits. But we mostly spent a lot of time in a book from Pillars of Eternity 1, which could be considered the scripture for Abidin's worshippers. So if someone was a worshipper of the deity Abidin, the daily affirmations of focus and efficiency would be a book that they might consider their scripture, if you will. Now, we got a lot of this lore from one book that we found in the video game. But you can get lore from other places other than just in-game books. When you get weapons or armor, you can read item descriptions as well, and in those descriptions will be pieces of lore. This is very familiar to people who play games like, uh, well, Bloodborne and Destiny come to mind, where in Bloodborne you have a piece of armor or a weapon, you can read the item description, you actually get hints of the story that's going on behind the scenes. And the same with Destiny, in playing that, there's a lot that you can learn by reading different gear sets that kind of paint different pictures of a story going on there. And the same here for this RPG, Pillars of Eternity. Reading the item description for a set of gauntlets called the Gauntlets of Greater Reliability, we see this about Abaddon. Stamped with a sigil of Abaddon, these cleverly crafted gloves feature fully articulated joints. The weight of the arm guards seems specifically designed to help counterbalance that of a weapon. I, I want to read this because I think that it exemplifies uh, one of the values of Abidin, one of the things that a person who follows Abidin would also value. And that's like, you could have just made these gauntlets be strong gauntlets, which they already are, but they are specifically weighted so that it'll help counterbalance the use of a weapon. And that is adding extra functionality to something. And I think that that is what a tenant of Abidin would be. That is what someone who follows Abidin would aim to do. Why just make gauntlets that are going to be good at defending, 
add extra functionality to them. Now, I know gauntlets are probably supposed to do this a little bit in the first place. I, I don't know. I am not an armorsmith, but that is my best guess. So now, before we jump into the spoiler section of this episode, I just want to give a little bit of non-spoiler history of Abaddon, uh, because the history of Abaddon and a bit of what he's been through in the past is part of the spoilers of White March DLC. But I have some non-spoiler parts that we can focus on now. I'm going to read for you straight out of the Pillars of Eternity collector's book, uh, who Abaddon is. This is the quoted description of Abaddon from the book. The people who wrote the game that wrote this book put it in here to describe him. Abaddon, the Iron Arm. According to ancient tradition, Abaddon was once a god like most of the others, capable of taking human form. Then he was slain by one of the other gods, according to some stories, though the reason has been forgotten with time. So what this means is essentially all the gods at one point in the past had physical manifestations. They used to walk around the world of Aeora. At some point, they all decided they were going to stop doing that. They were going to withdraw from the world and they were going to let the kith kind of make their own society. They were going to let them operate on their own and just give guidance. Uh, more on that at another time. And like all the gods, Abaddon had a physical form, but it was destroyed. Rumored to be by one of the other gods, but we don't really know why. For some period afterward, Abaddon was thought to have been destroyed. His immortal essence lingered, eventually taking shape and fashioning a new artificial body for itself, piece by piece. Finally, Abaddon returned to, quote-unquote, life, somewhat diminished in power. So, because he's a god and he's still a deity, he has an eternal essence, right? He has like the, the stuff that souls are made of, the physical, well, you know, the ethereal makeup of a soul. He still has that. And it's so powerful that it was able to create a new artificial body. With Magran's help, he claimed a new portfolio, becoming patron of industry, machines, and skilled labor. So prior to this, he was not necessarily the deity of industry, machines, and skilled labor or at least uh, some of those are new. And so he had a different portfolio before he was destroyed that he does now. So in a sense, he was a god of different things back then than how he is as we see him today. Centuries later, Abaddon remains loyal to Magran, forging weapons for her campaigns and often appearing at her side in depictions of the war goddess, the war goddess meaning Magran. Though he is associated with industry and progress, Abaddon is never viewed as a source of inspiration or invention, which are the domain of Hylia. So Thinking of Abaddon as the god of inspiration or the god of invention is a, a very easy connection to make because he's part of skilled trades and apprenticeship and the forge and smithing, right? You'd think invention would be part of his domains, but it's not. Those are more the domains of Hylia, who is the goddess of the arts and the sky and birds, oddly enough. And Abaddon is more about the actual work behind that. It's about the work of the forge. It's about the process of getting that raw material and melting it down and then heating it up and reforging it into something new. It's about the actual process itself. Instead, he is seen as the unfailing hand that enacts the designs of others, like his patron Magran. And he is identified with the great masses of craftsmen and skilled tradesmen who labor, raises cities, and shapes metals and gemstones from the depths of the earth. And so Abaddon is a god that represents this unstoppable force of progress, in a sense, where the skilled laborer and the worker create the world. You know, the cities that we see are created by the hands of skilled laborers. Abaddon would be very attractive to a lot of 
the average person, you know, the working class man would be attracted to following a faith with Abidin attached to it because of this. He adds value to the work that you do. One might ask, why is Abidin a god of the forge and not a god of some other skill? Why is he associated with the forge in particular? And my current theory, and this is speculative, of course, is that it's because the forge and blacksmithing is the engine behind a lot of the technological progress that they have at their current state, in their current aesthetic, where they are in their own history. You know, they're not creating transistors or building circuitry for, you know, digital stuff. They are creating pieces of metal. They are doing ironworks. They are building machines. And so the forge is like that hidden heart behind all of it that's pumping that forward. And I think that's why Abidin and the forge are more associated than, say, some other skill or some other trade. To many in the working class, Abidin is a comforting god, demanding nothing of his followers except a hard day's work and forthright service to their employers, customers, and lords. I think a little bit of that might fly in the face of uh, where I come from, North America, where you are beholden to your employer and your customer and your lord. I, I mean, we all, we've all worked in situations where we have customers, we all have employers, and a lot, I think there's this natural pushback that a lot of people have to that about being someone under subjectivity from someone else, right? Having a superior. But I mean, really, there's nothing wrong with that. There has to be somebody superior to the rest of the group who maybe has a higher amount of knowledge or that knows what the plan is and is able to delegate tasks to people, quote unquote, below them so that they can complete that. I think that that's actually a good thing. But because some people take this to a negative place, some people abuse power, that's why it gets looked at in a negative way. He is also an aspirational deity, representing hope for a better future by honest labor instead of plots or machinations. So whereas the deity Skane would be all for secret plots and revenge, Abidin is about honest labor for the hope of a better future. And we talked about that with like apprenticeships and work. It's like if you're doing work, you're hoping for something better at the end of it. You know, if you have an ingot in the forge and you are forging it into something like a sword you are hoping for it to become better and you are aspiring to create a, something better from the ingot itself, right? And so that idea of hope and aspiration is one of, are two of his domains. He encourages his followers to remake themselves by learning new skills and trades, just as he remade himself in his new artificial form. All his clergy are expected to master a practical skill such as smithing or carpentry and to teach that skill to those who are eager to learn. This is interesting because... Let's say in Avowed, you enter into a city and you're walking by this building and outside is a huge stonework sign that says Temple of Abidon. And you walk in expecting to see men in robes and you know, pews and a person giving a sermon or whatever you would expect in a temple. And instead, you find just huge groups of people engaging in different skilled trades and teaching each other about skilled trades. It would almost be like a, um, a trades college really. And that would be a temple of Abidin. That would be what you're walking into. And so it'd be interesting to see that in the game, especially if you were able to walk into that. And if you knew that piece of lore, perhaps you would know where to increase your skills in the game. Going back to the book, um, all of his clergy are expected to master a practical skill and are expected to teach it. As, as it mentions in the book, you have to teach this stuff. As such, Abidin has become quite popular despite his unusual form. Which, if you play the game, you'll know he went from being a kind of flesh-and-blood-looking guy to what looks like an automaton. So, you know, kind of unearthly. A little, a little bit uh, unsettling, but not as bad as Wall, that's for sure. 
In the intrigues of the gods, Abaddon takes little part, though he serves Megrin loyally, and always takes her side against her enemies. Skane hates Abaddon, who represents exactly that sort of passive surrender to authority that the quiet slave, that's Skane, despises. Uh, so this last little bit just kind of talks about his personality in relationship to the other gods. He tends to be pretty neutral, doesn't really care about what's going on, he's just doing his work, um, which I think is consistent given what we've looked at with him. And so that ends the non-spoiler section of this episode. Uh, so if you don't want to have the narrative points of the White March DLC spoiled for you, I would say tune out now. Uh, thank you for joining in the episode. I'll see you guys in the next one. But for those of you who are wanting to continue forward and learn about the history of Abaddon, keep on listening, I guess. All right, so here's the history of what we have for Abaddon. This is the thing that you're going to learn in the White March DLC if you haven't already. Uh, Abaddon is... One of the gods, uh, one of the Anguithan gods, which we went over what that means in the overview episode. He was devoted to duty, preservation, progress, and industry before being destroyed. And we've already gone over what his domains are now. The gods were not interfering with the world. They entered into the world and they were part of it. And then at some point they pulled away, deciding not to interfere with the world. But in a act of self-preservation, one of the gods, Andra, a deity of the ocean, plan to destroy the Inguithan people, and we can go over that in a different episode as why she did. But regardless, she took one of the smallest moons at the time that were orbiting Aeora. Andra took one of those moons and flung it down towards the planet in an effort to destroy the Inguithan people. Now, Abaddon, being god of preservation at the time, interfered now again he didn't have a duty to it right he didn't have to like oh it's my job i gotta go and i gotta stop this from happening it's just it was a natural expression of who he is and so this moon's coming out of orbit flying down to the planet it's going to destroy these people abidon he is preservations he interferes so he gets in the way with his you know massive smithing hammer and he throws it at the moon completely destroys it shatters it to pieces and all the pieces rain down on the planet but One Piece, the largest one, kept on the course. And so in kind of a last second Hail Mary effort, he put himself between that piece of the moon and the Inguithan people. And in the process, it killed him. He saved the Inguithan people, but he himself, at least the physical version of himself, was destroyed. His body would have landed in eventually the place that would be called the White March. And if you visit the Abbey of the Fallen Moon, if you see the skeleton pieces that are in that area, especially if you look at the map of it, that skeleton is Abaddon's former physical body. So that is the truth behind why Abaddon was remade into more of an automaton, as he used to have a physical form that he walked around in, but it was destroyed by the moon that Andra took out of the sky. Now, Andra loved Abaddon. I, I don't know if she capital L loved him or if it was just like, oh man, I love you like a brother or something, but she loved Abaddon and she was very sad about this. After Abaddon's body was killed and his essence was reforming and creating himself all over again, she took away his memories of how he died. So he doesn't actually realize how he died. He doesn't actually know what happened. He has no memory of it. So he, he can't even be upset about the memory being gone. He doesn't know it. As well, she took away his tools, which are called the eyeless, which are these 
uh, automatons that he created. They are essentially like his fingers in the world. They do a lot of work. They are extensions of himself. They're like robots, and they're kind of the, the main bad guy that you see in the White March DLC, especially the second one. They are these massively powerful machine vessels that at one point followed Abidin, but now follow Andra and do her bidding. And she is trying to keep this secret of her killing his former self from him. Because apparently it'll disrupt the very tense peace that are going on right now between the gods. So she distanced herself from him and took away the eyeless, the tools uh, that he used to have. And he ended up just serving Magran, you know, making weapons of war and being tied to her. He lost his will to preserve after all this and gain his industry-related domains of a god as well. And so that is the main narrative that is revealed at the end of the White March DLC. As you're engaging with all of these different narratives with Abidun and Andra and the gift bearers, which are followers of Andra, you come to realize that the memory of Abidun having been killed and whose fault it was, was taken from him. And so that's an important part of the narrative for the White March DLC. But that's all we have for today's episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. I, I'm really happy that you guys are enjoying this episode. On one of the ones previous to this, the amount of listens I had on all of the episodes collectively nearly doubled. It's, it's super humbling to see people enjoying this. And thank you again for some of the feedback I've been getting. I've gotten a couple emails from you guys, and we've been emailing back and forth. It's awesome talking to you guys, so thank you so much. If you ever want to reach out to me to ask a question, uh, offer encouragement, offer criticism, or reach out for anything, you can reach me on Twitter at World of Aora, or you can email me directly, worldofaora at gmail.com. Thank you guys so much as we dove into the lore behind Abidin, God of the Forge. Keep up with me in the next episodes. We might cover one of the other gods. I might get into the history of the Deerwood. There's a few things I have down the pipeline that I want to work on. Uh, but thank you for listening. I've been your host, Eric, a.k.a. Gingerino, and I'll catch you next time. Precepts and Proverbs of Abidin, read by Eric, a.k.a. Gingerino. Chapter 1, Part 1 For every work there is a practice. Arm yourself with skill and temper your labors with patience. Strike only when your medium is ready. Do not work cold plate. Brittle steel is worse than a treacherous friend. Temper your work lest it shatter like glass. Fools praise appearance, but the master praises strength. True virtue lies in work well done. Pattern-welded steel shall be folded no fewer than seven times. The finest smith cannot shape poor metals. Set your hand to steels that have been properly treated with charcoal. Like a room full of discord is a forge with uneven heat. Do not let it pervert your metal. As the blows of the hammer speak to the steel, so the color of the steel speaks to the smith. Like a babe is heated steel, fragile and easily corrupted. Handle it gently, lest your haste twist and warp it. Do not neglect work that lies hidden and unseen, for a shoddy tang can break the blade. 
The wise smith works carefully and anneals but once. The careless smith weeps to find flaws after the steel has been hardened and tempered. As a blade drawn in multiple heats is work done in its proper time. Thus concludes Precepts and Proverbs of Abidon. This has been a World of Aeor recording, recorded by Eric, a.k.a. Gingerino. Proverbs and Precepts and Pieces of Wisdom of the Deity Abidon, the Iron Arm.